Hello, we're back again with another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and defining happiness and success. My name's Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show, and on this episode I'm talking to Jonathan McDonald. Jonathan is a speaker, he's an author, we talk about some of his books, and we go really deep in this one. I honestly think this is one of the most interesting Beyond Busy conversations I've ever had. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Jonathan is super honest and candid. We talk about his business failures and some of the reasons for that. And um, he really opens up towards the end of the interview. So I think you're going to really enjoy this one. And because I'm on holiday, I'm going to get straight into it. I can't really tell you what I'm doing because um, I'm recording this a little bit in advance. So we're going to go straight into it. This is my conversation with Jonathan McDonald. I'm here with Jonathan McDonald. How are you? I'm good, Graham. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. Uh, So we're doing this down the line. You're in London. Are you in Ladbroke Grove? Where are you exactly? I am. I'm in. I'm in Notting Hill, off the edge of Ladbroke Grove, which is uh, soon to be preparing for the Notting Hill Carnival at the time. Ah, of course. Yeah. Is that this weekend? Uh, No, it's the end of August. But um, end of August. It's all getting quite frantic. I already see people starting to get get everything together and uh, I'm you're either, with the carnival you're either involved or you need to go on holiday um, <laughs> and, uh, and so this time I'm going to do involved that's my decision nice um paint a picture so I've been to Notting Hill Carnival a couple of times and it's also one of those things that I've got a couple of friends who get really into it and and dress up in big fancy costumes and all that sort of thing and be and they're on the floats and all that um what does it look like as a resident in the month leading up to it so what what can you see out of your window what do the streets do how does it kind of how does how does that build up work i think the build up mainly is in terms of people um becoming friendlier with each other oh really <laughs> um there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are evidently plotting together and and trying to, you know, there's art being done in some garages. You can see garages are open and people are painting stuff. Um, the, the streets seem a lot cleaner um, for some reason. I don't know whether that's in preparation, but yeah. I mean, I'm I love being in this part of the world. I absolutely adore it, and um, and it's it's an efficient place because I'm directly between. In terms of productivity, I'm between uh, Holland Park, Notting Hill, and Lambert Grove Station, so I can get anywhere in London super fast. And uh, and yeah, it's just it's central but villagey and and it's and it's perfect for productivity junkies like myself nice and uh not too far from heathrow when you need to get somewhere further as well right you know i can actually walk to paddington in 25 minutes and then 15 ah. minutes to heathrow cool um so we were introduced um by sophie devonshire who's a previous guest on the podcast as well um so uh there's a few places i could start i mean i i think maybe let's start with um you're a fellow author um are you four books in is that right this is my fifth um but i don't really count the other four because well <laughs> i think they've probably sold about four copies in total but yeah this is my fifth, <laughs> and uh, and this one works slightly better <laughs> so powered by change is the fifth yes that's right yeah because the other day when we were talking you were talking about um the next one that you're working on as well so uh, yeah. maybe come on to that let's start with powered by change so um you've been described and spent a lot of time working in companies as a futurist and as someone who is thinking and pondering about change and how to react to it a lot. So do you want to just give us the the quick overview of Powered by Change and, and what that's all about? 
Yeah, I, funny enough, actually, I'm I'm uh, I resist the term futurist because I'm certainly not mm-hmm. one, and um, and and I, I but companies need to pigeonhole you, right? So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a nowist, and um, and frankly, every every futurist I've ever met, um, every single thing that's come out of their mouth already exists anyway. So I don't, I don't I'm not sure that there's a um, you know, a kind of real futurist that I've met, but uh, yeah, and my my uh, my my role in the world, I guess, is to expand the way that people think. And I've been doing that for, for decades now and, and I've enjoyed kind of helping lots of people around the world do, do think differently and do things differently. And, and, and I've had, I'm in now in my ninth startup and, um, but powered by change is, is around how we can think differently about the concept of uncertainty and change. And it all kind of started from when I, I found this beautiful proverb, which says that when the winds of change are blowing, some build walls and others build windmills. And I found that to be lovely as a metaphor in terms of the people that I've met over my, my life uh, mm. in business, but in personal life as well, um, who are essentially either building a wall and hoping that change goes away and, and stuff doesn't, you know, stuff doesn't progress, stuff doesn't evolve. It's everything's going to be static. And of course the winds of change just don't do that. They actually accelerate. Um, and then there's other people who, who metaphorically construct windmills and use the changes around them as a fueling mechanism to propel success. And so breaking that down from a placitude into an actual methodology was, was really fun. Uh, it took me almost two years, but, um, but yeah, the powered by change is essentially a, a structural methodology that you can apply to your life, um, to take the winds of change and fuel and orchestrate your entire um, either business or existence, depending on how how, de- how how personal you want to make it. But it means that when think when uncertainty comes, when disruption happens, uh, you don't actually look at this as oh my goodness, everything's now thrown out the window. You actually can you can tune your um, operations to to actually be accelerated and enhanced by change. And that's um, that's what it is. That's what it's about, really. Mm. And you mentioned there that this is about how companies as well as people can react mm. to change. So, and, and I know there's that, like the, there's like the four blades of the windmill in the theory. So maybe before we talk about companies and stuff, let's just talk about the personal aspect of that. Um, mm. Interested in your own yeah. take and your own uh, perspective on how, how do you stay as someone who's building the windmill rather than someone who is uh, scared or resistant mm. to change? Well, funnily enough, the um, and actually this is in chapter two of the book. Uh, spoiler alert: the um, the book the the the, the power, powered by change as a win, uh, as the windmill theory, which is inside it, is the actual methodology. Jasper Broden, the chief exec of IKEA, actually um, criticised me for calling it a theory due to the fact that he's actually applied it to IKEA. It's <laughs> helped IKEA grow from thirty to forty billion euros. So it's a windmill practice, let's call it. But I've I've actually applied every single part of power by change to my life. And so the way that I operate is literally powered by change. Um, and so the, and, and I actually, I had to become powered by change due to the fact that I was, I was, um, and have been in my life in various different, um, negative (laughs) situations from being, uh, significantly bullied at school from the ages of five to eleven, to five to sixteen. So eleven years of that. Um, I've had all manner of um, uh, business disasters and business business partners who turn into be total criminals. And um, and what I've what I've had to do over time is actually 
construct a methodology that I can live by that enables me not to essentially just lie down and take it, but actually stand up and, 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 and grow. Mm. And that's what's, that's what I've done. And so, and so if, if you look at the power by change blades, the, the four parts of the windmill, um, the, the first part of that is actually in, in something called purpose, which is slightly different from how people normally call a purpose. And when I, when I speak to companies about their purpose, they talk, they give me a mission yeah. statement or a vision statement or a, a strap line. It sounds really neat and looks good on a poster. But what I mean by po- purpose is actually the, um, the elevated, um, position of what we are actually here to be and here to do. Um, so for instance, um, if you, if you look at a purpose for a person, you may think of your job and think, all oh, right, well, maybe, maybe my purpose is what I do for a living, or maybe my purpose is what I enjoy doing. But I'm, I'm talking about purpose in terms of teleology and telos, the original meaning of purpose being the, the actual reason we are here. So for instance, uh, the telos of a knife is to cut. Mm. The telos of a cup is to contain some form of substance. The telos of a shoe is to cushion. The telos, you see what I mean? Yeah. And so what is the telos of us? And, um, and I had to really, I had to really, uh, look into de- deeply into myself after one of my spectacular disasters in, in business and actually think, why am I actually here? What's the point of being here? Uh, and I, and so in Powered by Change, the first blade is around purpose and how we can actually define what our purpose is away from defining what our job is or, and we all we all know, especially people like people in your in your role of extremely effective, you know, productivity and efficiency ninjadom. Um, the that you if you find a job that you love, then you never actually feel like you do a day's worth a day's work because you're actually loving it so yeah. much. But that even that isn't what purpose is for me. Purpose is the role that I am here to fulfil, and and starting from that point through the windmill theory. In fact, it's. Uh, it becomes really obvious why that's important because by the time you get to the third blade, which is in terms of products, and I include service in product as well, um, the purpose that you've defined around the people that resonate through a belief syntax, which is the second, the second blade is the people one. When you get to your products set and your solutions that you're offering to the world, you're actually coming at that ontologically from, from a purpose that actually has resonated through the people. And it also then resonates out into the public. Um, and so a lot of brands miss this. A lot of companies miss it. A lot of suppliers, they don't, people just don't see the reason, but there's massive mathematical, statistical, numerical proof um, in terms of profit, hardcore profit, bottom line contribution, benefit from this approach. Mm. So luckily, the stats back back this up quite strongly, yeah. and I mean really, really strongly. And that's just to do with the that old kind of is it Peter Drucker who who had the thing of um, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and just that thing of it if if everything's aligned <laughs> yeah. to that yes. to that purpose, then leadership is easier. Yes, exactly right. And and since Drucker. There's been some beautiful studies by Harvard Business Review. In fact, one of one of the talks that I gave online, uh, you can find it, it's TNW13. Uh, I did a talk uh, in Amsterdam where I actually shared the entire stats of this uh, into a room full of people who thought I was talking absolute nonsense. <laughs> as soon as you start talking about humans and culture, people start to switch off, and you can see them pull their iPhones out, and immediately they're doing their emails. And um, <laughs> what they didn't realize is that you know, five, five minutes later, this kind of airy fairy HR people first type 
uh, intro turns into actual actual figures. Mm. You know, so studying three thousand companies PL, this is the profit difference between a company that have people that resonate with the purpose and a clearly defined reason for being uh, versus companies that don't. You know, and we're talking the difference between one and eleven percent to six hundred seven hundred percent growth, yeah. and and you can't you can't deny it. And there's so many, and I go through all of these stats, and it, it, and it's amazing. That companies still deprioritize this. It's it's, it's shocking. Yeah, um, I'm just curious about the methodology of that. In terms of, I guess most or all companies would say to you, "Yeah, we've got a really clearly defined purpose." So, in terms of how mm. you rank those and then work out which ones have it clearly defined and which ones don't, what's the yeah. what's the way of <laughs> of delineating and separating? And do you grade it one to a hundred? Like, how does that work? <laughs> well, firstly, you can tell. Uh, instantaneously, when you've spoken to more than one member of staff, <laughs> whether, whether or not there's actually a purpose that's clearly defined, or whether it's one that matters, right? Mm. So I'll give you an example. If Nokia were really in the business of connecting people, as that was their tagline, if that was a purpose, they'd have created social media. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, 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 that was a tagline. They're in the business of creating phones. Um, and, and, and actually that the, if you look at another company, so on the other end of the spectrum, a company that in my opinion has an extremely clearly defined purpose is Under Armour and in empowering athletes to perform, ha they have an entire framework of, of what that then means. Their purpose in, in, in business, uh, enables them to, to diversify in ways that Nike and Adidas can't. Uh, or they would be able to. It's just they they are seemingly unable to. So, so Under Armour can, of course, Under Armour can can buy Map My Run and Map My Fitness and Map My Cycle, and and of course they can create a, a, an entire digital um, range of shoe wares that links to any form of accelerometer inside any form of smart gadget. Of course they can. They're not a, they're not a fashion company. They're not a they're not a fashion brand. They're not a sportswear manufacturer. They're in the they're in the business of empowering athletes. So that means they're also a technology company. They're also a travel agent. They're also a, a shoe wear manufacturer. Of course, they're you know why could they not now open a range of gyms? But equally, why wouldn't they open their own set up their own sports team? Mm. Why couldn't they? Why couldn't they set up their own Formula One racing team? You see, it's similar. To, by the way, on that point, Red Bull also clearly defined purpose. The 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 energy, the enablement of energy, and energetic design. Uh, means that of course you've got the Red Bull X Games, the the the, the you know extreme ski stuff. You've got the uh, the pilots, the jets, kind of around the loop to loop stuff that they do crazy stuff in the sky. And they'll put Felix Boutmeier jumping from space or a Formula One multi you know four times Red Bull um, Formula One racing uh, car world championship. So these it's no accident when you actually have a clearly defined purpose that you can innovate into countless areas yeah and there's very few competitors because a competitor would be a formula one racing team but even if they beat red bull if mercedes beat red bull this year in formula one red bull actually aren't beaten as a brand because red bull have elevated so high they're involved in another 57 activities mm. including by the way I'm, I'm a big jazz fan and i went to a red bull British Jazz Showcase three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago in Brighton. Um, and so them jumping on the energy of British Jazz, which is in a really good place right now. There's some mm. incredible kind of Afrobeat, very upbeat, very sort of dancey uh, kind of styles of jazz coming out of, particularly out of London at the moment, um, which yes. are really, 
you know, fascinating. And it's just like, what are Red Bull doing there? And it's like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly the same kind of harnessing of energy in, in a very diverse way. Indeed, I mean, I mean, and Giles, Giles Peterson, God bless him, is 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 forefronting a lot of this, mm. and I think that he's, and I mean this in a positive way, he's to blame for a lot of the the London jazz scenes. <laughs> um, I'm really happy about that. I used to, you know, when I was a guitarist with Acid Jazz, I remember. He, him and um, Eddie Pinner kind of setting up that side yeah. of things and, and Giles has been a, a superstar but if you go to Red Bull's offices in London Bridge they've got a music studio on the ground floor mm, okay cool. <laughs> so so the Red Bull Red Bull is as as integrated into music as they are into sports as they are into entertainment as there are you know it's that that's a brand with a purpose mm. that's what I'm talking about <laughs> um, it feels like the obvious place to go next is to come back to your uh, search inside yourself to find your own purpose. What did you discover? Mm. What was your process? How did you come up with with that with that that kind of clear purpose yeah. for yourself? <clears throat> well, the way I did it, and uh, the way that I suggest you can do it in the book, I've, I think I suggest quite a number of different tools. But the way that the way that worked for me, um, and I mentor using this approach as well. So that's it seems to be effective for well all, all of the people I've ever mentored. This has worked. So <clears throat> the if you Write down what it is that you do, that you, you, you do when you're in the most flow. Uh, and the great book by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi called Flow, which is, is a useful manual for this, which explains what I mean by flow. I think a lot of your, your, your listeners will, will know what I mean by flow. But mm. in the moments where, in fact, it's effortless to actually produce what you do, and in fact, in fact it feels that time's going too fast, um, but there's no real effort required and um and it when you if you can write down what it is that you're doing when you're in flow and then the trick is or what i found and what how i mentor is that you then describe what it is that you do when you're in flow without using the words that are contextually dependent so i'll give you an example let's say that when you're in flow what you're doing is you are um speaking on stage to rooms full of business people that's somehow in your soul is when you're in flow now funny enough i know graham that's not necessarily you just yet but the, i think you you might be in flow when you're writing books right I, because i'm really in the flow when i'm in the middle of those talks my problem uh, is that i find the energy and adrenaline around that like it's just a huge expense so it takes yeah, me two yeah. days beforehand not sleeping very well and all the rest of it. And then a, a day afterwards where I'm just kind of staring into space. But funnily enough, I do really feel in flow when I'm in that, in that one hour, you know, in that kind of, yeah. in that, in that yeah. period, uh, I, I definitely really feel that. So I'm, that's awesome. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm speaking tomorrow morning in, uh, for JCB up in Utoxeter. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm driving up there after this and then I'm speaking tomorrow morning and then I'll be driving back the the whole process is beautiful i love it i love the pre speech i love the post speech and but the flow let's say let's say if you're in flow um on stage as you are and i am then and we're on stage speaking to people uh, and and enabling them to hear information or whatever if you remove all of the words um so we don't use stage <laughs> we don't use speech <laughs> we don't use information what it is what is it that we are actually doing and that forces mm. elevation in our minds and what i realized was that when i was in flow i was um around inspirational people sharing inspirational information and and enabling myself and others to grow and evolve as humans 
And once I'd actually worked out that the, the, the words like stage, um, writing, speaking, uh, business, meetings, workshops, whiteboards, presentations, all that stuff you, you sack off, what was left, what I was actually doing, I was actually expanding the way that people think. Mm. That's actually what's going on. And then it was just like this massive light bulb moment where it's just like, that's actually, that is, that's what I do. That is actually my purpose. There's, I'm, I'm not here to, um, to become the most successful Formula One racing driver or the, um, even the most highly successful author. What I'm here to do is expand the way that people think. And that actually isn't a volume game. It's not about expanding the way that a million people think. It's expanding the way that anyone I'm around thinks if they desire that. So rather than actually force that on people and become some annoying pest philosopher, (laughs) if people require me to expand the way that they think, like Lord Bamford from the, the B part of JCB, he seems to like the way that I expand the way that he thinks and his, the rest of his senior execs and the, the next generation, then that, that seems to work. Ikea, the same thing. I've done 20 or 30 appointments for Ikea, expanding the way that thing. Microsoft, uh, six or seven or eight. Google, maybe a dozen or so. Apple, half a dozen. These are, these are all moments in time where I've expanded the way that entire sets of executives think. Um, and I much prefer that, um, now I know that that's what I'm here to do. I've doubled down on it. Um, whereas before I kind of thought, yeah, speaking on stage is fun. Mm. Yeah. I'll rock up and, you know, I'll write a couple of books. No one will buy them, but you know, write a couple of books, but, but why, why would you, what are you actually, why are you actually doing this? And what is, what is it you're doing? If you remove the words that are contextually linked, those words are, those words are limiting factors. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the interesting thing for me as well is, and I, I really resonate and relate with a lot of what you just said there. But the interesting thing for me is that like a big value set for me is around kindness, empathy, connection. And mm. I can feel that sense of contribution, that sense of empathy, that sense of, of kindness with people when I'm on stage, but I can also feel that when I'm one-to-one with someone coaching them through productivity type stuff, but also I I can feel that a lot in lots of other settings in my life, right? So in personal relationships, in the volunteering that I do and in other things. So if if, if you're sat there listening to this right now and you don't necessarily have one clear sense of where that flow comes from or, or flow comes from multiple places, what, what's the, what's the answer to connecting that to purpose or, or, it, is, is it more about kind of uh, thinking about which one of those is your biggest priority? Just, yeah, give, give us a sense of that. Well, the, way that, the way that one of the most recent people I helped with this, um, I got her to write down all of these, all of the moments when she felt the most in flow. And there was about seven or eight kind of contexts, if you like. And, and we, we, she was struggling with kind of defining why she was on this planet. That seems to be the reason why people come to me. Mm. It used to be back in the olden days, it was to help them with their digital marketing strategy. <laughs> and, and, and I'm super happy that it's moved across <laughs> to something. Um, anyway, but the, but, the, um, but the, so, you know, she writes down all of the different um, things and different contexts. And, and then we work on the similarities. And with her, funnily enough, and it's interesting you say kindness and empathy, with her, it was very, very similar to that. There was a lot of, 
uh, you know, joining the dots between um, the support that she likes giving to others and, and they feel hugely resonant with um, the, the kind of the love and the warmth and the generosity. And it was all of these type of things. And we worked out, it took us about a week, I think of back and forwards, back and forwards, back and forwards. We worked out what she actually is, like actually what her telos is. You know what it is? She's a companion. Hmm. She's actually a companion to others. And in the olden days, I mean, olden days is in two and a half thousand years old. Um, thousands of years ago, they used to bury people, not with their name, but with their telos just their telos on the inscriptions okay. as an epitaph, just be the telos. And so this particular person who I was helping their, their tombstone, their gravestone, their epitaph would say, here lies a companion. Hmm. And that's the way that they used to class. And in fact, one of the journeys of life was seen one of the most enlightened journeys you could have would be to step into your telos and then only be your telos. And so if I'm not, if I'm in a room and I'm not enabling my thoughts to be expanded or I'm not enabling other people's thoughts to be expanded, I'm in the wrong room. Right. And so everything, my grid, my grid is total of, of how I prioritize my life is weighted strongly in the favor. The reason I'm doing this podcast is that I think I can learn from you. And I think that some of the listeners listening to this may be able to learn from us. Mm. And if, and if those two factors aren't involved, then I'm not, I'm not involved. Funnily enough, it needs to be both. I need my, I need to learn, um, from anything that I'm doing. Otherwise I don't feel as if I'm growing. And, and that's why I'm, that's why I've, you know, read your, read your book and most recent book and also watched every single video clip of yours online, probably more than you have. And <laughs> I'm not sure. more than I have. <laughs> um, and I, and I've watched some of yours as well. So there you go. <laughs> do the, uh, the, the the mutual uh uh compliment there um so one thing we talked about the other day which i think leads on quite nicely is you have and i found i found this page on your website and then we talked about it the other day is um you have this page on your website where you track your life right mm-hmm. and yeah. i downloaded it and i have to say i i i need you to explain it a bit more uh because you've got this spreadsheet that sort of tracks your age now and then your expected age that you think you might die and then there's a whole load of blocks and it's like you tracking your life so tell us yeah. tell us what you're doing with that because it just really fascinated yeah. me well it's, re- it's really simple actually it's so simple and it's probably more simple than you realize and therefore it kind of seems prosaic because it's 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 kind of like it's too it's even more simple so basically in my, what I've done is I, in, on jonathanmacdonald.com forward slash life, um, that's MacDonald, M-A-C, not McDonald, jonathanmacdonald forward slash life, clicking on the first link opens up the spreadsheet, which is basically my, I'm, I'm 46 right now. So in A1, it says 46 and cell A1. And I think that I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, live until I'm 82 for sake of argument. Mm. So on eight line, uh, on cell a, uh, 19, it says 82. And what I've done is I've charted, um, two years per row. So in line in row one, I've got, uh, January to December, January to December. And that means that next row, I'm then 48, the next row I'm 50, 52, 54. And you can see then in, in, in those 19 rows, um, the whole of the rest of your life. Now, if you zoom out, what I tend to do is I tend on the view menu, I press zoom and I go to 50%. 
you can pretty much see the whole of the rest of your life in about two inches. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, and that for me, uh, really resonates strongly as to how much time I'm going to waste doing stuff that's counterproductive. Mm. So, you know, I now, so July is kind of like amazingly now in the second half of July. And I can remember just recently blanking out June. So June in cell H1, June is gone. Um, July in 15 days time will also be gone. And then before I know it, I'll be halfway through this, this, this line and it'll be December. And then, and then it'll be the December gone again. And then I've, I've reduced what was about two inches of a screen down by a fraction of a, an inch and then more of a fraction of an inch and more of a fraction of an inch. And if I look at it in terms of my active life, so active service, let's say, and I'm not saying that this is for everyone, but I personally would count my active service as up to 70. And I mean active as in I'm training five times a week doing martial arts. I'm, I walk five to 10 miles a day. I run marathons. I compete at, uh, in a world, world championship jujitsu. So I mean active service like that. Mm. I reckon that 70 is probably my kind of last rough active service. Then all of a sudden, so if you remove lines, what is on my sheet from lines 13 to 19, if you remove that, then I've got hardly any time left. And if I really want to get shit done, a lot of stuff done before I'm 60, um, so which is line eight, I've got maybe a centimeter and a half of months. <laughs> 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 and so I better get on with it. And that's why I live like I do. I don't wait for, oh, you know, I'll do that one day. I can see how many days I've got left yeah. and there's not many. <laughs> and so do you go in and change the colors of that spreadsheet? religiously every month is, is that something yeah. you do on the first of the month is is, is there a ritual yeah. around it what do you do yeah big ritual i go in the first of the month so on the first of august i will blank out july or i'd put it in red i blank out july um on the first of august and i think about whether or not i maximized my time in july and whether or not there were times where i wasn't maximizing my time when i wasn't expanding my own thinking or expanding other people's thinking as much as i need to that's it wow <laughs> that's really cool <laughs> So people can basically go and download that for themselves and yeah. presumably add lines in if that you know, if you're lucky enough to be twenty one when you're listening to this, you can add a few more lines. <laughs> if you're optimistic, you can add a few more lines after uh, yeah. after your eighties into your nineties, I suppose, as well. Uh, yeah, and sure. and then you're encouraging people to to just play around with having that visual uh, mindset around this stuff. Yes. Bearing in mind that, I mean, on, on the link, uh, the forest slash life link, um, I talk about deathbed regrets mm. and, uh, and, and what I've, what I continually remind people is that from, from the, the nurse, Bronnie Ware, who, who an Australian nurse who spent years working in palliative care for patients in the last 12 weeks of their life, their dying epiphanies, the top five were one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Two is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Three is I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Four is I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And the final one was I wish I'd let myself be happier. So I look back at each month and think to myself, specifically bearing in mind that around, I think it was 80% of them said, I wish I'd had the courage to live life true to myself, not the others expected of me. The life that's true to myself is to expand the way that I think and people think. Mm. And and so that's the truest life. And yeah, it means that at dinner parties, it's horrifically difficult to tell people what I do for a living because you're supposed to say, um, 
a director of a marketing firm, I work in technology, or I'm a librarian, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a lawyer. And when I say that I'm in the business of expanding the way that people think, it doesn't fit. So it's it's annoying. It's not a standard career. It's <laughs> not, um, you know, but it's the life true to me. And and I, however, now if I Google my name, it says British author because it went Sunday Times bestseller. So I do occasionally now use the word author, which of course sounds even more wishy-washy than thought expander but who do knows? you do that Philosophy. do you do that thing as well where depending on what kind of conversation you want to have like you know if i if i'm with someone who i'm really interested in connecting with then it's like what do you do and i might say i'm a productivity ninja because i just know it's interesting and people will go oh what's that and whatever whereas with other people you're just like uh, do you like B2B kind of like, you just like, you give it some yes. vagary and then you know that that kind of shuts the conversation down. You must do that as well, right? Yeah. I do. I say I, what I tend to do and I do, I do read the people, but I also, I don't just say the word author when I use that route. I say, I write books around why we hate change mm. and what to do about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and and the other question I was going to ask about that is if you say to somebody, I'm in the business of expanding the way that people think, <laughs> do you get yeah. a reaction from some people, which is like, okay, go on, impress me. <laughs> so, like yeah. it's quite a big, I, I mean, that's quite yeah. a big claim as opposed to saying yeah. accountant or something. Exactly. I, exactly. I, I, um, I, I would only use expand the way that people think if I was warm to them and there had been some form of prelude. Mm. Um, so essentially what I do is I, I, I use expand the way that I th- the, I expand the way that we think as a reveal. If it's in a warm conversation, yeah. um, and actually, and, and it makes sense. So 99% of the time when I say it, it's to people that have actually worked out that I'm in the, people have said to me by that time, they, they look across the table and go, you know, what? I hadn't even thought of things in that way until you just mentioned it. And I go, well, kind of, that's what I do for a living. And they go, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I guess I can see that's what you do. And I go, yeah, I, I expand the way that people think. And they go, yeah, of course you do. That's what you do. Right. Mm. Um, and whereas people who are cold, like if I'm in a room full of lawyers and accountants, I'm an author about how we tend to resist change and how we could use change as a, f- as a fuel. And, and the good news is, is that whatever industry of, of people you're sitting around um, or sitting near, you can give an example off the shelf about change that's happening in their industry and, and how they're trying to resist it. So let's say it's a lawyer, um, the digitization and AI of law mm. is, is meaning that robo-law is, is going dis- to be the, one of the biggest disruptive waves ever to hit the shores of law of law and so i say you know of course you'll know in the legal world about you know artificial intelligence and what that means in terms of automating legal processes and every single lawyer bar none just stops in their tracks <laughs> and go yeah yeah we're kind of we're, we're, we're monitoring that yeah no offense if you're a lawyer and you're listening to this but i can't wait i just wanted to come back as well you talked before about um, nine startups and sort of previous business disasters and finding business partners who are criminals and, and all of that stuff. And, um, just kind of interested. I read, a th- I also read a blog where you talked about, um, debunking that phrase, you know, fail fast, fail off, fail often kind of thing. And then you said, actually it's about learning fast and learning often. Yes. So I'm interested if you are happy to share in a couple of those, you know, the, the, the business disaster stories, what you learned and um, 
you know how how that shaped you because i think that's always yeah. it's funny yeah it's funny when you said when you said uh, um if you, you know if you're happy to i looked at the the uh, time <laughs> <laughs> So, like, how many failures do you need? Um, let me pick. Let me pick two of my spectacular. Disasters. I was going to say pick one, um, but yeah, pick two. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yes. Yeah, so let, let's. So I'll group them together because the learning's the same. Funnily enough, this is the spookiest thing is that the the learnings are so similar. I evidently didn't learn them the first time well enough. Mm. Um, but so, so the first time, uh, and you. Sp- Bought a pattern. You can see it in hindsight. It's retrospective 2020 vision, but picked, uh, found a business partner who, who gave me loads of adulation, thought I was an absolute genius, said he was honored to work with me. Um, you know, he would do everything in his power to, you know, to, to, to build something with me and, and 24 hours a day and all this kind of stuff. There's loads and loads and loads of adulation. Um, then kind of sucked me into this um, a system where I was doing all of the, basically putting all the money in, he was taking all the money out and, and all the while he was taking all of the, the, you know, the, the upside and the credit and everything. And I was essentially draining my entire resources mm. and, um, and eventually he just disappeared. Wow. And, um, and with all of my money and, and, and then, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, an extraordinarily v- vicious, um, suction mechanism of my entire life. I ended up with £12.67 in the bank, an extraordinarily angry wife, <laughs> uh, two young children um, living behind a pub in a car. So uh, that was 2004. Wow. Um, uh, so 2017, 2018, um, I went through a not dissimilar process. And um, I'm obviously for legal reasons, can't name names or anything else like that and can't say much more about, about it, but tremendously and savagely attacked by a total psychopath and the, uh, who then has de- defamed me widely across industries and, um, whilst in the background setting up secret, um, operations. And it's just, it's just incredible. But wow. the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 um, the similarities between the two are really, really shocking because, the, the, the pattern is relatively the same, but the, the outcome is I, my weakest part of my life has been attracting and nurturing and loving toxic people. Mm. And, and it comes from my childhood. I've given up at birth. These aren't excuses, by the way, but given up at birth, fostered a couple of times, eventually adopted, beaten to crap from the age of five to 16. I've had 30 something broken bones. Um, stabbed through the hand on my first day at school. Uh, the last day of school, stabbed through the stomach. So, I I have I have been around toxicity so much so that as soon as I finished school, I eventually started courting um, women who were toxic psychopaths or narcissists, and I found myself a magnet to people who are toxic. Mm. And I and it's because the toxicity that really is is my sweet spot is when they are. Um, narcissistically um, pleasant and fulfilling and build me up and build me up and build me up. And then even when they ch- chop me down, I still feel tremendously relieved when they build me back up again. Yeah. And I forget about the chopping and forget about the roller coaster of this entire savage attack because the feeling is so good to be accepted back in by the narcissist that you continually go through it now. So I've been in psychotherapy for nine years to, to look at these things and, and, and I've now structured a, a kind of a, 
a way of dealing with it. And it was only when I realized that my, my business partner, um, in the second example was this, was this toxic person, this toxic narcissist. Um, and when I actually pulled the plug on that and said, I, I actually, this isn't going to work for me. They went absolutely ballistically insane. And that's because you can't hold a mirror up to these, these toxic mm. people. If you hold a mirror up to them, then they will smash through the mirror and then smash you. And that's what's happened all the way up till now. And, and, um, but nonetheless, what I didn't do, which I did do in the past was I, I didn't this time just keep going and keep going and keep going and hope it was going to be okay. This time I called it. And next time I'm surrounded by a toxic person, I cut immediately. I don't, I don't give any, any of my energy to toxicity anymore. And I've, I've now got a toxicity radar. Um, but yeah, that's my, my learning. Wow. That's <laughs> astonishing. And thank, thank you for the, just the honesty and candidness of that. I think a lot of people will really relate to that. Um, I'm interested in the, the radar because, I mean, you mentioned before that's the, the, sort of piece that you felt was your weakness and so obviously that's mm. something that you know like know, knowing you a little bit I, I i can well imagine that you're sat there thinking okay that's a weakness i need to work on that how do i get metrics around that how do i measure that all those kind of things what was your yes what's the process around that and and perhaps also for people listening to this who may feel like they're in similar situations what what can you pass on in terms of wisdom yes well here's the here's the, here's my uh, two by two i've got a two by two grid for almost everything Obviously. in life <laughs> so, so so um firstly the principle is it's about energy management that's the first thing to note note that that around being able to be aware of who you're around whether they're narcissist sociopath or or or, or, or psychopath the being being able to be aware of the energy that they give or take is the principal component. And I'll go into the two by two grid in a second, but it's all around the awareness of energy. And I mean, awareness of whether these people are radiators or vacuums, whether these people actually suck out or evaporate what is in you or whether or not they do the opposite. And I mean, consistent energy rather than ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. So you can track it over time in terms of the energy that you feel. And funny enough, instinctively, we actually can feel these things. And I mean this without sounding all esoteric. Yeah. Um, if we're around bad energy, we can actually tell that that's bad energy. We just sometimes overthink it out so that we go, oh, it's fine. It's my work colleague. But inside, you already know that it's bad energy. Anyway, here comes the two by two mm. grid. So on one axis, so let's say the vertical axis, we're going to say that's how much um, the experience or the person um, provides in terms of energy. So north at the, at the top of our axis, it would be hugely providing energy to us and an extreme warmth of feeling and, and togetherness and, and solidification of, of resonance, right? So that's the top. But at the bottom, zero, where it inter intersects with our, with our soon to be horizontal axis, um, zero is, is no energy. Um, or low energy or negative energy. You could even go past the zero into the minuses if you mm. like. It's up to you. It's your axis. Mm. But I can't, I put zero as, as, as flat. So in other words, that there's nothing positive. It's only negative. <laughs> then in terms of the horizontal axis, the horizontal axis is how much effort it takes. So we've got vertical is energy it gives. Yeah. And horizontal is effort it takes. <laughs> and then 
and then I put um, two lines inside my grid. So I've got I've got four boxes basically. I've got a box on the top left, box on the top right, box on the bottom left, box on the bottom right, and unsurprisingly, you can imagine, and by the way, I would recommend every listener plots everyone they spend the majority of their time with into each of these four boxes. Bottom left-hand side is people that, you know what, it doesn't take very much effort. They don't give you very much energy. They don't really, they don't, they don't take very much from you. They don't give very much to you. They're not, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't really um, matter. Yeah. They're kind of meaningless. It's like maybe the postman that you see every single day doesn't really give you, you know, it's, it's fine. So that's okay. The bottom left hand side, I, I put the word minimize and I use the word minimize because actually there, it's not really, there's not much point in spending too much time. It's not giving you anything and it's not helping and it's, you know, but then it's not really that much of a problem. Bottom right hand side, however, it takes you a lot of effort and actually the negative returns are strong. It's not actually providing you with a similar amount of energy as you're actually expending in the effort. So the bottom right-hand side is what I would class as a void. Yeah. Okay. So you've got minimize on bottom left, you've got void on the bottom right. <clears throat> Top right-hand side, we've got the, it, ta- it takes a lot of effort, but by goodness, do you get a lot of energy out of mm. it? Or or that you are surrounded by a huge amount of energy, positive energy with that person, but you have to fly 17,000 miles to get there. Or you have to <laughs> spend nine, nine hours driving across England to arrive. Or you have to spend 650 quid to, to, to get to that, that environment with them. Whatever it is, that's a huge amount of energy, but a huge amount of effort. That, I put the word apply. And I'll tell you why I mean apply in a second. Because the top left-hand side, is maximize, which is doesn't take very much effort, gives you huge amount of energy. That is maximize, where you should maximize your time. And the reason apply is top right is that I've realized over time that if you apply yourself and practice and form methodologies and form hacks and form tools, then what's at the top right eventually moves across to the top left. Hmm. And that's what I found. And so if you apply new systems, top right becomes top left. And if you actually minimize bottom left, eventually stuff doesn't really even exist there. And now what I do is I delete, I delete any interaction with people on the bottom right hand side immediately block, delete, avoid. And so my grid significantly lives north of the, uh, the middle line. Now I'm now, I'm now in the, I'm applying, I'm, I'm hacking my life to apply as much as I can to things and people and objects and resources and experiences that give me huge amounts of energy and I can give them huge energy. I've just drawn that grid out and I think I'm going to spend <laughs> quite a lot of time like <laughs> during the rest of the day really thinking about that. That's, uh, that's incredible. Um, it's, is it available? Can we put a link somewhere? Have you got, have you got it written out somewhere? That we can. That's empowered by change, mate. Oh, it's empowered by change. So, okay, cool. So people yeah, can get so that. Powerbychange.com. Yeah, powerbychange.com. Perfect. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes to that one as well. Okay. Um, that is fascinating. That's really fascinating, and I'm sure a lot of people will um, just really resonate with some of those. You know, I think everyone's got some of those people, right? Who you either work alongside or live alongside, or are just kind of in your life. That and yeah. and and the, the bit that really gets me is that thing of the application from top right to top left. I think that's huge. Mm. Love it. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, that's what I admire so much about what you're doing. Um, you're w- with, with the productivity ninja approach that you have, 
I believe that, and I'm not writing your uh, writing your copy for you here, but mm-hmm. when I look at what you do, I think you're enabling people to move from the top right box to the top left box. I mm. think that's what you do. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. But it, yeah, it, I mean, it, maybe that's why that resonates, but it, that's a, just a, such a fascinating <laughs> approach. And um, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot, a lot more. Kind of, uh, well, I, I, I'm so deep into that. I've kind of lost the other things I was going to ask you about. Well, let me just, let me just say this then while you're finding your thought. <laughs> let me say this. The, the book Powered by Change uh, contains hundreds of tools like that. Mm. Um, every single hack I've used in my entire life, I've just put into there, all with diagrams. And, um, you know, it's, 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 um, if people are into hacking tools, then, then, uh, then, and mine seem to be less to do with productivity, which is why I think is a great harmony between what you do and what I do. Uh, mine aren't productivity tools, which I admire hugely, by the way, the tools that the systems you put in place. Mine are um, psychosomatic tools, they're mindset tools, um, largely based on, <laughs> on people's way of thinking about themselves and others. That's pretty yeah. much what my tool set is. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of other things that I had written down to talk to you about, and uh, we're we're running out of time. Um, mm. Tell us about you're currently doing a, a Russian degree in decision making. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm uh, two weeks away now from finishing my neuroeconomics uh, diploma, uh, and uh, and so I'm yeah I'm I'm super super close to finishing, which is, which is good. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I've, I, am i am fascinated with how the brain works, but at a neural level, a neurology level, rather than just behavioral economics, I'm actually going into how the brain makes decisions from an atomic structure. Um, I'm doing that as a distance learning course from the highest school of economics at the national research university, um, studying under Vasily Klucherev, who is the professor and head of department of psychology in, uh, in Moscow. So yeah, I'm, Super happy to be um, to be to be doing that, and at the same time, in um, three weeks, I fly to Orlando to fight in the World Sports Jiu Jitsu Championship uh, mm-hmm. as the British number one, current British number one heavyweight um, uh, champion. And so, yeah, I'm flying over to do the World Championships then. So, I'm going to finish this diploma, and then uh, and then get on a plane. <laughs> nice. Uh, that kind of reminds me. Do you know what I was looking at earlier? Was um, I'm a big fan of a very niche. Uh, I think. British originated sport or maybe German originated sport called chess boxing. Have you come across ch- chess boxing? Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> so what you described there is pretty similar. You know, it's kind of the brain and brawn thing of um, chess boxing is a round of chess and then a round of boxing and then another round exactly. of chess and you win either by checkmate or knockout. I, I Indeed. Really love it. And in fact, it's, you know, it's, it's actually a Dutch, um, it was invented by a Dutch dude oh, called Dutch? Um, oh, okay. Lepe Rubin yeah. and it was an performance originally um and uh yeah so he's it's actually huge in germany uk india and russia and um yeah yeah the entire if you go to londonchessboxing.com there's an entire community mm. uh, <laughs> yeah i've been to i haven't I, been for a couple of years but i've been to been to quite a few of those events and they're always really good fun um so we'll, we'll put a link to that as well um and yeah, i also wanted to talk to you about your mm-hmm. list of things that you don't really enjoy and then your little ritual at the start of the year where you flip a coin. So tell us about that. Okay. 
So 2006, I was, um, I had survived the downfall of 2004 and I was, um, two years into what took then 60 months in total, five years to unscrew myself financially. But by 2006, I was so inspired by the fact that I'd managed to turn around having 12 quid in the bank into being, um, by 2006, I think I became the commercial director of Ministry of Sound around that time. Um, so, so I'd kind of had a bit of a life turnaround and I thought to myself, you know, is anything really possible? Uh, and it sounds a bit like a cliche, right? It's like, anything's possible, man. I thought, right, well, let, let me see if anything's possible. I'm going to flip a coin on New Year's Eve between two things that I can't do or I'm scared of. And so the first year was um, uh, run the London Marathon or swim the English Channel, and it landed on number one. Now, I was 38 kilos heavier than I am today when it landed on number one. I couldn't run up a flight of stairs. But nonetheless, three and a half months later, I'm standing at the start line at Greenwich Common. Hmm. Six and a half hours after that, I crossed the finish line with... Uh, horrible injuries, um, semi-asthma attack, uh, Achilles tendons that have never been the same since, Ouch. half toenails and stuff. Anyway, but did it. End of that year, um, that's the end of 2006, then going to 2007, flipped a coin between two other things. Um, and in the period of the last 13 years, I've learned to write with my left hand. I've learned four languages. I've written a Sunday Times bestseller. That was a coin flip. Um, got selected to, for a world championships in a martial art I'd never done before. So to, to get into the Orlando world championships, um, I had to become the British champion, but I, it was a martial art I hadn't done before. So at the beginning of last year, I started jujitsu on January the 2nd, January the 3rd. I'd never done jujitsu before. It's not linked to any of the martial arts I'd done. And seven months later, um, I'm standing in the British nationals uh, with my bright, shiny white belt against a sea of black belts and managed to get through to the finals and 31 seconds into the final I won by submission and um and so get selected for the, to the world championships and then I immediately quit jiu-jitsu because I've what I'd got my coin flip done mm. and then spend the rest of the year putting on loads of weight and eating pizza and <laughs> curry and beer and then on new year's eve this year just gone it was a coin flip heads was um uh, go on a four month trappist monastery tibetan monks retreat where you say nothing you're in silence for four months just eating rice and drinking water or win a medal in the world championships <laughs> and it landed on tail and so then i started training and um i've now done uh, 900 hours of training uh, this year and uh, and i will have done 1000 hours by the time we fly which is in three weeks' time. And what happens to the losing coin flip subject matters? So is the Tibetan monastery trip still on the list for a future? Well, that hasn't landed four times. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, But also climbing El Capitan, free climbing with no ropes, the vertical 4,000 foot um, slope. Um, well, it's not even a slope. It's a vertical cliff face with no ropes. That hasn't landed twice uh -huh. now. Um, <laughs> So what well, also two years ago was the space jump, you know, the Felix Batman space jump from the edges of space. Cause oh, I'm yeah. scared of height. Okay. That didn't land. Um, uh, become a world champion salsa dancer. I can't dance. Huh. That didn't land. Um, write a number one single didn't land. <laughs> so yeah, there's quite a few that didn't land. <laughs> <laughs> and so so they they go back on the list and then you just and how do you pick the two then on new year's eve um just between for, for the whole of the year i i kind of reprioritize which are becoming favorite as things that are ridiculously difficult yeah. or, or 
football are improbable to yeah. do. And right number one single nowadays to get number one in the charts, you only need to have like and a 15,000 downloads or something. So it's, that's easily gamified. I, I don't, mm, there's no point. Yeah, right. And so I just, it just drops off the list. Um, El Capitan, free climbing, hasn't landed so many times now. Same as the Trappist Monks thing. To be honest, if I now, rather than worry about a coin flip for things that I need to do in my life, I'll just go and do it. Just execute. I just, I plan. I, so firstly, I decide. Then I plan like crazy. Mm. And then I execute militantly yeah. with no excuse. There's no kind of, no kind of, oh yeah, but it's too hard. No, I, I, I take full accountability. Yeah. Um, and in the last five minutes that we've got, mm. I'm interested in what the, like, is there a price to that? So are you very deliberate about things that you're avoiding doing? Are there things that you'd really like in your life that are not in your life that, that are kind of allowing you that space to be able to to execute on that kind of a level as well as obviously doing you know your main as we talked about before you know executing on your on your purpose and and actually doing the the work that you do as well yeah well firstly these coin flips have enabled me to expand the way that i think um exponentially mm. <laughs> secondly um talking about the coin flips enables me to expand the way that other people think exponentially yeah, yeah. um the cost uh, the primary cost is that i'm unable to be in a relationship with someone who is um, unwilling or incapable of understanding this type of lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a super honest reaction as well. I love it. <laughs> it's only the truth from here. Um, so yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's the truth. Um, secondly, I have to take a, an alternative view of financial management because sometimes you, it takes quite a great deal of investment to make the coin flip work. So mm. things like, um, things like martial arts. I mean, I, I joined three different martial arts schools as a full-time student in all of them. And then I spent five hours a day, every single day of the week training for seven months. Wow. <laughs> so, so there's a hell of a lot of travel. There's a lot of equipment because when you're wearing a gi in jiu-jitsu, you can't wear a gi for more than one session. And if you're doing two or three a day, that means you need two or three gis a day yeah. and each is a hundred quid. So, wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's, so I find that you need an understanding bank manager <laughs> and, and a really understanding partner mm. um, or, or no partner. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I, the only reason I drive a car is because I have to, um, a lot of the martial arts schools aren't near train stations, but the second that I win a medal in the world championships, um, I'm, I, none of my coin flips are ever involving martial arts again. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just think I, I've, I, I know what I want to do with my life and, and where I'm headed is to set up a set of retreats, um, uh, called clarity and enabling people to, uh, to think up and to move forward and to uncover, um, who they are. And I want to, and I, and I want to do that from a personal and professional perspective, which is no, not an esoteric kind of woo woo way. Um, and I want to also create a, a range of life management systems for people to, uh, holistically manage how they, and hack essentially their effectiveness in their life and create tools individually for people. So not have very many clients, um, and just have, have a few, maybe 12 or 20 or 30 people that I can help, um, possibly with my partner, um, and uh, in, in that kind of, in that, those areas. And, um, I, I, 
I really, I really want to, I want to do that. Um, that's, that's where, that's where I want to go. I want to help people learn the things and expand the way that they think through the ways that I've expanded the way I think that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. And then it went out. (laughs) Wow. I just feel like we've been on such a journey in the last hour and, um, just total beyond busy, um, like just front and center subject matter. You know, we've talked about, uh, clarity, elevation, different ways of thinking, how to avoid toxic people. Like it just kind of feels like there's a lot of stuff in there that I think people will really take away. So just want to just say a huge thank you for, um, your wisdom and, and candid energy and contribution to, to be on busy. Um, first of all, um, and tell us where they can, where, where can people connect with the book and with you and, uh, what do you want to share? Yeah. Us? Everything is available at jonathanmacdonald.com. Um, and if you don't want to type all those words, just Google me and click on the top link. Um, uh, so yeah, my books are on there. The, my, my speaking is videos and there's blog posts and there's rants and there's, <clears throat> but, um, but really I'm, I'm here as a servant to you, dear listener. If anything that I do adds value to you, then, uh, and that can be commercially, it can be free of charge. It can be, um, pro bono. I'm, I'm, I'm a resource for humans. So please use me as a resource for you as a human. Love it. Um, well, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on Beyond Busy. I, uh, once we stop recording, I'm desperate to ask you about acid jazz as well. So we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it feels like there's a million other things we could, uh, we could, we could say as part of the podcast. So maybe I'll try and uh, get you on again at some point in the future as well. So, um, Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you, Graham. Cheers, mate. So thanks again to Jonathan for being on the show. We had a really good chat afterwards about, uh, I, I really, there was a point in the interview where we started talking about jazz and Giles Peterson, and I really wanted to start geeking out with him on a kind of UK jazz scene uh, kind of conversation. And I didn't, I bit my tongue because I thought for most of you listening, that's not something that you're going to be that interested in. And then afterwards I was like, we've got to geek out about jazz. So we kind of did and had a really fun conversation about uh, some of uh, Jonathan's experiences on the acid jazz uh, scene in the sort of uh, early part of the 90s and then me being um, a big music head in the sort of late 90s and going to Giles Peterson's nights in in London in Bar Rumba and all that kind of thing and yeah just uh, really interesting conversations and um, I'm sure we're going to uh, continue those over a beer at some point. So um, uh, if you're listening, Jonathan, looking forward to doing that. Um, a couple of other thank yous, just to thank Think Productive, who are our sponsors for the show. If you're interested in productivity training, coaching, if you want to bring the whole productivity ninja approach to your business, then give us a shout. You can find us at thinkproductive.com. And also to th- thank just Mark Stedman uh, from Podiant, who is my producer on the show and uh, thanks, Mark, for keeping everything running smoothly while I'm offline. So I'm away probably as you hear this somewhere in Scotland, I think, and uh, trying to keep myself offline, keeping off Twitter, not too much on the Insta, all that sort of thing. And uh, just enjoying a summer of kind of disconnecting a little bit and uh, recharging. So I hope you're doing something similar. hope you find um, some time to do that over the next few weeks. And we'll see you in two weeks time with another episode. So until then, take care. Bye for now.